one to two million tons of debris. That is the amount of debris that remains churning in the Pacific Ocean following the tsunami that occurred in Japan nearly 16 months ago. And as recently as this week, the fifth piece of debris, a four by four foot plastic floating bin from one of the power plants in Japan, arrived off the shores of Oahu. The rest is heading towards the shores of Hawaii, California, Oregon, Washington, Canada, and elsewhere. One to two million tons of debris. The good news is that only one to five percent of it will ever reach our shores. The not so good news is that still in a number too large to understand, that accounts for something like 10,000 tons of debris, 20 or so billion pounds. Try stopping that. Try stopping the massive destruction of any tsunami hitting a populated or any other area. Natural disasters are really only disasters to humans <laughs> and to our possessions. To nature, well, they're just natural events, such as a gentle rainfall is a natural event. We have no power over either or all in between. Still, we do try, you know, we try to prepare for such events. We protect ourselves and our possessions with state-of-the-art systems and programs and sciences and everything from architecture to evacuation techniques and routes. We not only seek to prepare for the future, but to predict when those future preparations will be needed. We do all of this for one reason, so we can survive. It is still the fundamental drive of every creature on the face of this planet to survive. And it is still odd to me that we are talking about the debris of the tsunami, even in light of survival and science, rather than the names of the people who died and continue to reel from the tsunami and its aftermath. But that's the way we do things, you know. It has become as it always does when we try to distance ourselves from the reality of our humanity and our mortality it has become a number thing. This many lives lost, this many plants destroyed, this many kilowatts of power no longer available, this amount of radiation left into the air, this amount of debris drifting toward our shores. But other than that, and after a while, it's out of mind and out of sight. We don't need to be talking about events or life on other continents or in other cultures. 
just let it drift away until it drifts to our shores. And it's understandable, it's painful, and we need some distance. But forgetting, I'm not so sure. Now, I, I thought I'd reveal a little bit about my late night habits, which I will deny in public. Some of the writings for this morning's comments took place in the Apple Store in New York City on the west side in the wee hour of the morning, well after midnight, a couple of days ago. I was there in that mecca of techies and tech users and tech hopefuls. I needed to get some functions on my phone updated and it was taking a while for everything to download. So I had an hour or so to wait and decided to do a little preliminary work on this morning's sermon. Now, it may seem strange to think about being in an Apple store and that that is a place to do my writing. <clears throat> but aside from the couple of hundred computers laid out on 50 or 60 tables and despite the need to bend awkwardly because there aren't any chairs to sit and write, and despite all of the distractions, it's still quite a fascinating place from which to write, let alone gander at a slice of society. As I looked around, there were mostly, most likely five or 600 people maybe on the floor. They were milling about as if in anticipation of something, an answer to a question, a revelation of how to use something, a discovery maybe that through technology would make their lives more predictable and ultimately more protected and ultimately more survival insured. The words you most often hear strung together in a store, an Apple store in particular, other than how much, the words you most hear strung together are, will it do this? Can it do this? Will I be able to make it do this? Will I be able to live forever in my computer? Blue-shirted Apple geniuses and staff all around, glistening, gleaming, steel and chrome, highlighted designs, centering around a staircase that itself centers up from the selling floor, from the sub-planet maybe, to the world above on Fifth Avenue. Is it heaven below the surface and hell above, or is it the other way around? Yet there is a calmness there, almost like the eeriness that follows a storm, but not the devastation. No one is standing in shock in the Apple store. Surprise, yes, sticker shock maybe, but emotional shock, no. It's not a place about loss. But at that moment when you stand there and when you are caught up in that place, the absorption, I think, is the same. The, ob the objects of the absorption are different, but the inner drive of the absorption itself is the same, or so I think. Whether one is on the shore watching one's life go out to sea in the wake of a tsunami, only to become debris on another shore, or whether learning and leaning 
over the vista of gleaming technology and power about to be placed in your hand. If you have the hype and the money to own it, isn't it the same human longing to find answers to questions of why and when? Why did this happen? When will this get me to where I want to go? Isn't it the same longing for answers? And while we deal with the upsets and the excitements of life and everything in between, the answers are not externally driven. The answers we seek are not in that object and they're not on that shore. They are internally woven into our DNA and every microfiber of our body through the creative love of God that tells us from deep inside and from the writings we read to be still and know that I am God and in you. So as I looked around the store and in this diverse place, I asked myself this question, what am I supposed to do here? Actually, I said to myself, what am I supposed to do below what may be heaven or hell above or what might be heaven or hell on the surface? And what am I supposed to do to let everyone know how minuscule and unimportant the shifts in tectonic plates or operating systems are compared to God's love and the presence and the hopefulness and importance of serving one another to really know who you are and what your relationship to God is all about? How am I supposed to do this as I look out at all of these people and say, who am I in this place and what am I supposed to do it's the same feeling I have in a train, a crowded train, or on the streets, or almost everywhere I go. What am I supposed to do? And the next question is one that refers to the inherent hubris in any such question. Who am I to think that any of these people need me? <laughs> Or who am I to think that I know what any of these people need in their lives? When there are times I'm not even sure what I need in my own. Isn't all of this in some way arrogant? To think that somehow I know what others need? Isn't it a little out of sorts to think that I or any of us can be first in leading others to heaven fulfillment, fullness, completion, satisfaction, riches? Isn't it sort of like arguing with the disciples about who will be first? Who will be the best? Who will be number one? It seems the desire for being number one in the first century already had its roots long before we thought we created that ad campaign. And isn't the ultimate message the simple, humble, unself-elevating command? The message, the secret of living a faithful life, isn't it the same as it always has been? The one Jesus said to the disciples on that day in Capernaum, if you wish to be first, you must be last. For it is in service to others, caring for others' needs, that the true heart and faithfulness are achieved. Be like the children 
welcome them in the name of Jesus, in words or in the quietness and actions of your heart, and you will welcome the one who sent Jesus, the one who is known by many names and has sent others as well. Isn't the message, no matter what, love others? Even when the best you can do is to refrain from saying anything, letting go, not sending that email, forgiving from a distance? What am I supposed to do? How do I get over the mistakes I've made, the times I've come up short, not taking the actions I've needed to help others or myself? been confused about when love and tough love are or aren't, used the words I wished I hadn't or kept silent when the words I wished I had said I didn't. What am I supposed to do? Is it about being perfect? Is that what it's about? Well, it's not, obviously. And on this eve of Yom Kippur, the high holiest day in the year for our Jewish sisters and brothers, the day on which Jews see themselves as closest to God and the quintessence of their souls, let us think on the same as they do. Let us pray the prayer of Yom Kippur, asking for forgiveness and purification asking to be cleansed of our sins, those things that distance us from God, those things we did or wished we hadn't, we said or wished we did. Let us be like the little children, washed of all we never needed to know or to carry, of all of the mistakes that we never planned on making or found us involved with. And somehow let us be content with acceptance, with the acceptance of our limitations and the unlimited presence of God's love in our lives. Let us not need to orchestrate every single event, but remember who the great conductor is and to follow. To listen as directed from the ancient and opening prayer of the Torah, the Shema Yisrael that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as instructed by Jesus when questioned about what was the most important commandment of all, let us listen as well. To love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your might, and to love one another as yourself. Nothing about being number one. Nothing about turning back the forces of nature. Nothing about living forever in this form. Nothing about controlling or manipulating power in the palm of your hands. And in so doing, I think, in so remembering these things, we will know the one who sent us, just as Jesus said, 
And then I think that there's a good chance that heaven or hell, tsunami or technology, will not dissuade us from loving and serving one another and from that being enough to be faithful. Could it really be that simple? You say, Amen.